time has come is we've got to go the extra step. From the Political Science Department at UW-Madison. I'll compromise. We want to get the job done. I'm Addison Lathers. Geez, they're, they're, trying to, they're trying to balance the power here. And I'm Claire Salmi. It's a patriotic responsibility, for God's sake. And this is 1050 Bascom. In this episode of 1050 Bascom, we're excited for the opportunity to talk with Katie Hogan as part of our Career Conversation series. Katie graduated from The Ohio State University in 2011 with a bachelor's in political science and went on to earn an MPA from the John Glenn College of Public Affairs at OSU in 2013. She now works with the federal workforce programs at the Partnership for Public Service as senior manager. Today, we will talk to Katie about her own college experience, as well as the opportunities she took along the way as well as her career journey to where she is today at her current position. We will also dive into some advice for current students and recent graduates navigating a challenging internship and job market, including any insights Katie might have for students looking to pursue opportunities in Washington, D.C., or to kickstart a career in government and political affairs. Let's just start by saying thank you so much for being here. We know that you have a busy schedule, so we appreciate you making the time for this. Yeah, oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Let's start by talking a little bit about you and how you got to start in your career. So you went to Ohio State University, and we'd love to know how you came into your undergrad experience. So did you know that you wanted to be a political science major, and kind of what was your general thinking early on? Yeah, thanks for having me, Claire. I am really excited to be at a fellow Big Ten institution, so I hope those tuning in uh, are still listening after hearing my Ohio State background, but I'm actually really close with a couple of Badgers here in D.C. and have traveled to Madison to your campus and just had Culver's the other day, so we have a lot more common ground than, than you might think, so thanks for having me, and I love the Big Ten crossover. So to actually answer your question, I can give you a little more background, like you said, of how I came into my undergraduate and how I landed here ultimately. So I grew up in a really, really rural area in a small town, Ohio. It's actually in the Appalachian part of the state that borders close to West Virginia and Pennsylvania. Hmm. So it was just really rural and agricultural based. I was in 4-H, but always knew that I probably wanted to live in a bigger city. It's just better for my personality. I think I, if I think back to how I got started and decided to major in political science, I got involved in my county young Democrats club in high school. And I will note that membership was like three people, but it was really influential. <laughs> I got to meet Congress people who traveled through our town um, and would support their campaign events. We even traveled to DC to see some of them sworn into Congress in 2007. So that was really cool. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but again, it was public service focused. And then I chose Ohio State, and I think many of the listeners may relate to this because it was big and it seemed to have everything, and it was the land-grant school in my state. Ultimately, I knew I was really curious about the world. I was really curious about civic engagement, and I thought political science would be a good place to start. And then through that, I, I absolutely loved 
classes in international studies too, which continued to fuel my curiosity. So I was really fortunate. Ohio State at that time had a study abroad to Uganda and Tanzania. So I was really fortunate to do that my sophomore year. And once again, what was always reinforced, I think, in my life at that point was I was always interested in the helpers. So the people that were the civic leaders in their communities. And so while in Uganda, we had to do a capstone paper and I was fortunate enough to interview women that worked in politics and, you know, from local government all the way up to their parliament. So female leaders at all levels and at the core of every conversation was this desire to do something that improved things for their community and ultimately the next generation. And my favorite woman who stands out was just like dynamite for her community. She was awesome. She was the headmistress of a local school. She was a local commissioner. She got money to build a maternity clinic in her community. She secured money to build more buildings for the school that she was the headmistress of. So all that to say, my initial interest in politics and systems and governance grew from analyzing civic engagement and identifying change makers and who they were and how they actually did it. And I realized that it happens at all levels and sectors, and that was really exciting for me. I also say it can be overwhelming at times because public service and doing good is very broad and there are about a million pathways one could walk down to pursue it. So in terms of how it influenced my career path, it gave me perspective and affirmation that my my values were were that public service. And it did take some deeper career development to turn that into tangible steps. And I say this because if any students feel this way, like there are unlimited options, but it's hard to know how to choose and what to pursue. You don't have to. I think just keep figuring out what interests you and what matters to you and why. And of course, gain experiences and engage in career development. So go see those career advisors, go to those fabulous events that your campus offers. You don't have to have all the answers, and I certainly didn't, but you know, you should be in the information seeking phase. So figure out what your values are and what resonates with you and engage in career development too. That was great. Um, could you walk us through your career path from undergraduate through your early career and now into your current position as a senior manager for federal workforce programs at the Partnership for Public Service? Sure. So I know I just talked about figuring out what mattered to me through classes and study abroad and experiences in college. And I alluded to this, but the career development pieces are so important too. So that includes part-time jobs, volunteer engagements, internships. I had a number of customer service and people facing jobs in college. So I was a camp counselor. I was a rock climbing instructor, which I was not very good at, but I was. I was a server and I was an intern at a research firm. And I learned from each of these experiences as a server and a camp counselor, I learned that I enjoy people. I like creating good experiences for them. I like interacting with them. I like problem solving. I like being part of a team. As a research intern, I figured out that I don't like doing research. Even though I love the topics and I thought that they were really interesting, sitting and reading and writing all day was not for me. And that's absolutely okay. So if you have an internship that you're surprised, maybe you were really excited about it, and then you get there and you're like, this isn't actually for me, like the functions of this job are not that exciting for me. That's actually an incredible outcome. So the most influential job I had in college, which I didn't realize at the time, was kind of a part-time money-making job in the undergraduate admissions office at Ohio State. And I helped Ohio State by calling prospective students of the university. So we would call high school students and be like, hey, congrats on getting into Ohio State. I'm a student here. What questions can I answer? I wanted to welcome you. How are you feeling? So it was a really unique job. And again, I frankly initially took it. I needed money as a student and it ended up being um, something that set me on a trajectory. Uh, So I eventually got promoted to student manager and I loved leading and running programs. Again, supporting people. I did a lot of like training of new employees and I really loved that. 
So I ended up getting into graduate school at Ohio State and was offered a job in that office as a grad associate, which at Ohio State actually covers tuition and provides a stipend. So I know that grad school is a big question on students' minds and especially when in their career trajectory to go. It's really person dependent and I chose to go right in from undergrad because I found a way to pay for most of it. And the recession was pretty bad when I graduated. I graduated in 2011, so I think circumstances really vary. I did grad school and that was a really great experience. It's a broad degree. It equips you with a pretty broad range of skills and knowledge base. So after grad school, I moved to DC because again, I knew that I wanted to be in a city and I took a job with a state department program that hence sends high school students abroad to learn critical language. It's called the National Security Language Initiative for Youth. It's pretty cool if you have any high schoolers in your life that are interested in obtaining critical languages, definitely send that their way. But anyway, I enjoyed it. It was a good first job, but I learned that I really missed working with college students. And as luck would have it, a job opened up in Ohio State's Washington, D.C. office. So I directed the Washington Academic Internship Program, or WAPE, which is really similar to the Wisconsin and Washington program. And as you might know, Wisconsin also has a great D.C. presence as well. I was actually very close to the director of that program years ago when we were both doing that work. So I stayed with that Ohio State job for eight years because I continued to be presented with opportunities to grow. I grew the program by doubling program enrollment and I helped launch two new graduate programs to bring graduate students to DC. So I, I also learned how to teach fully asynchronous courses due to COVID. We had to move a lot of our programs online and I found the work really rewarding, but knew I needed a new challenge. So earlier this year, did a lot of reflective exercise and career development. So it's a really good point to make that you will likely engage in career development even after you leave school, but decided to make the jump to the Partnership for Public Service, where I now oversee the Call to Serve Network and student programs. But I note this because networking and communicating interest to folks that have been in, in your uh, network are really important. And that's one of the ways that I was able to lean on a relationship to, to have a positive career outcome, which of course is the job I have now. Thank you for that overview. You touched on something that was in our next question. So maybe if you don't have as much to say about it, it's totally fine. But we're kind of wondering a lot of political science majors think about doing an MPA, especially for a job that is going to involve policy in their future. So I was just wondering if you have a take on that debate of whether to go for the MPA or whether gap years make sense before going to grad school. What do you think? So I know I mentioned that I did go to grad school right away from undergrad, but I don't necessarily recommend that for everyone. Again, every situation is really dependent on the person. And in my case, I was actually between the MPA program at Ohio State and the Peace Corps. So I had gotten into both. And I remember when I got the graduate associate position, which again, what was attractive about that option at Ohio State is it covered my tuition and it provided a stipend. So it was basically covered. I called the Peace Corps recruiter I'd been working with and kind of talked them through the crossroads I was at because I genuinely didn't know what to do. And they told me free grad school is sometimes pretty hard to, you know, come by and find. And so that really empowered me. They're like, you know, the Peace Corps will always be here if you can get an MPA at a a pretty affordable rate or covered rate, that is something you probably want to really think hard about. And I knew the MPA would be applicable in any setting. I saw myself maybe in higher education, nonprofits, government, and all those public organizations are very much applicable to what you learn in the classroom in an MPA program. So all this to say there's nothing wrong with this, but I was one of the younger folks in my grad class. So a lot of folks 
many of whom are still my very close friends, you know, a decade later, had done things like Teach for America, Peace Corps, AmeriCorps, or worked at a nonprofit or a government organization for years before they got their MPA. And their experiences definitely came into the classroom. They greatly enriched our discussions. I learned a lot from them. So I just want to share that there's absolutely nothing wrong with this, but there will be a spectrum of experience. And you just want to make sure you'll be comfortable from that and be prepared to learn from them. And on the flip side, a lot of them had not been a student and been in student mode for years. And they were really nervous about getting back into paper writing and taking notes and being tested. And I remember I was like, oh, I feel really confident in that area because I've been a student my whole life up until this point. And I didn't find that part of the grad school transition as difficult as some of them did. So all this to say, I think it can be a really incredible thing to get some experience before you go. I think a gap year can be a phenomenal opportunity. I think they're really powerful. And I'll just close by saying, talk to people, call MPA departments, attend info sessions that they have. Many of them are virtual these days. If you can visit, go. Ask to speak to a current student, look up their alumni, speak to alumni that took a gap year and ask them what their thoughts are on. Just in short, do your research, look inward, but also seek guidance from folks that have done that program, work for that program. I think that's gonna be the best uh, approach for you. And then again, it's all dependent on the person and the situation. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about Partnership for Public Service and its goals and missions? Also, could you give us a little insight into your typical day at your position? I would love to. So Partnership for Public Service is a nonpartisan nonprofit. We are based in Washington, D.C., although we certainly work with and support federal employees everywhere, and they are everywhere. So our mission, we believe that a stronger federal government leads to a stronger democracy. Our federal government does some incredible things, and we work to support this work by supporting it and shedding light on it. So I'll just highly recommend, if you want to watch something on Netflix, The G Word highlights the very good work of government that many of us simply are unaware is happening, and it's interesting, and it's funny. We're reading The Fifth Risk, uh, same kind of thing. I think it, it sheds light on the amazing work of the government, and that is certainly what our organization aims to do as well. So we do a lot of things to support this mission. Where I work is by recruiting the next generation to serve in federal government. So bright young folks like you all from across disciplines. We're not just for political science majors. We need all skills and experience in government. I think some fast facts to illustrate why we do what we do. Just 7% of the current federal workforce is under the age of 30, and about one in three federal employees is eligible to retire in the next five years. So there's a significant need to recruit and hire and retain young talent. We were just on from your campus last week doing those very things, which is really exciting. We also offer opportunities for students to get their feet wet in government and get some experience. So I will plug our future leaders and public service internship program. We had students from Wisconsin in this program this summer and the summer 2023 application is now open. It can be found on our website. If you go to gogovernment.org, you can certainly find more information. We also have virtual info sessions later this fall that we, we can include those resources in the email is my understanding, but really recommend that you consider one of our student intern programs, the Future Leaders in Public Service program. We also have the Cyber Talent Initiative and then the Rosenthal is for graduate students pursuing graduate work in international affairs another summer internship program as well. So again, gogovernment.org has more information, but we are a third party provider of experiences in federal government for students as well. And I guess you asked about my typical day. I'm sure you hear this from a lot of your guests if you ask them that, no two days are alike. But I'll start by saying my strongest skills professionally are program management, communication, and problem solving. And I certainly do those things every day in this work. 
I also love being creative and innovative and developing programs, and this role really affords me the opportunity to do that as well. Most jobs in public service, like I said, no two days are ever going to be alike, and you don't always know what's going to come at you. But as I said, I oversee our Call to Serve network, which is a network for advisors and faculty that support students in their career development, specifically focused on pursuing federal careers. We do a lot of different things for the network. We write a monthly newsletter that goes to nearly a thousand colleges. We are in the middle of our first ever public service roadshow, which I mentioned. So we've been traveling across campus, going to campuses, presenting our What's Your Call to Serve, pursuing a career in federal government presentation for students and advisors so that knowledge of how to actually navigate USA jobs, how to write a federal resume, how the compensation system works, how background checks work. So the knowledge of that is growing nationwide. So that's that's a lot of what that work looks like is traveling and facilitating those presentations and delivering that content. Also, again, I oversee our Future Leaders in Public Service Intern Program, which is a paid summer internship program that I hope you will consider applying to to get some federal government experience. But we have opportunities in DC and fully remote, so it's really flexible and allows students to get federal government experience while receiving a stipend. So I oversee content creation for the application and website. I oversee our recruitment strategy. I review applications. I work with our government agency partners who are currently Commerce and Transportation, both super interesting agencies. I create and oversee orientation and onboarding materials. I oversee the program. So like if any questions or concerns come up during the placement or the on program, I often work on that to respond. And then professional development programming. So the students in the program do get a range of awesome opportunities like speed networking and federal resume workshops. And so I work with my team. The partnership is super collaborative. I work with my team to develop, uh, kind of envision and, and develop those programs and deliver them to students in the program as well. Awesome. You sound like a very busy person. I think that's a perfect segue. You're talking about networking and the DC internships that you guys have. So one question we have for you is regarding all the students we have here in Madison who are looking every year. We have a bunch of students looking to get jobs in D.C. after graduation. So do you have any insight on that part of it? Maybe once you're graduated, how to go about that as someone living in the Midwest? I mean, first, if you are able, the Wisconsin and Washington program is fantastic. Again, I know that because I ran this the similar program for Ohio State here in D.C. And if you're able, and I know you may not be, but getting that experience in D.C. while you were still a student is a great first step. And you know, it, there's also, I know, state government, local government, nonprofits, jobs on campus. All of those jobs are very applicable to, as I said, there are, are skills from the job that I did as an undergrad in the admissions office that I still use to this day. So don't overlook that and be sure you are utilizing your career advisors and opportunities so that you can strengthen that resume and have those transferable skills ready to go when you do start seeking opportunities in Washington. I would also recommend connecting with alumni in Wisconsin. So I know that there are a ton of badgers in DC. That's one of the benefits of going to a large uh, institution like your own. I would get on LinkedIn and I would reach out. I would talk to your career advisor or your mentor or your professor and say, I want to connect with folks in DC that do, you know, X, Y, and Z kind of work and then do informational interviews. They are not as scary as it sounds. It allows you to learn more about what a badger might do in your fields of interest. And when you move to DC, I say, just say yes, go to alumni events. I know it can feel awkward or daunting, but just start connecting with that alumni network. I think that, and ask them, how did you get your job? A lot of questions you're asking me, how did you decide to move to DC? What do you do day to day? Is there anyone else or any other organizations based on what we've talked about that you recommend I connect with? This is a great thing to be doing, especially your junior and senior year, because it gives you information, but it also helps you build a network here in Washington. 
So we're going to kind of circle back to just general advice as well, which you put beautifully just now as well. But aside from finding work in D.C., do you have advice for students who might not know exactly what the next couple years of their job search or finding a career path might look like? You talked about networking and events like that for juniors and seniors. Did you do anything else personally that helped you make a plan for what to do right after college? I love this question. I will briefly go back to some things I already said. Just get comfortable with the unknown. And I really know that that was difficult for me. Maybe it's not for everyone listening, but I had my life pretty mapped out, you know, like K-12, go to Ohio State, go to grad school. So it was pretty hard for the first time to just have the unknown. I had ideas of what my values were and what skill sets I could bring to the table and what I enjoyed doing. But at the end of the day, you do probably need to cast a wide net network, go on multiple job boards, do research of organizations and government agencies that align with you, and then just watch to see when they're hiring. So you kind of have to cast a wide net and see what sticks. And then I know as a public service focused person, it was hard because other fields at Ohio State, it felt like business and engineering. They had pretty structured job processes that occur in the fall of senior year. And so my friends in those fields were like, oh, I know what I'm doing in May. But as a public service person, it's probably just not going to be like that. Because a lot of, especially nonprofits and Capitol Hill offices, they are posting jobs that are typically for immediate hire. So if you see a job posted for a DC organization, that nonprofit Capitol Hill office, they probably want that position filled as soon as possible. So it's just unlikely that you're going to apply to something like that in November if you're graduating in May. You know. Federal government, if you are interested in federal government, which I hope you are, and I hope you'll pursue some of our resources to to better navigate that, you could start applying on USA Jobs to things uh, a couple months before you graduate because they do often take a little bit more time as we've talked about. So all this to say, invest in your career development now, start planting the seeds now because you never know exactly what's going to pay off and wind, but you want to give yourself so go to your career advisor, absolutely ensure your, your resume is well constructed, well written, attend whatever info sessions and trainings your career office offers, write really solid customized cover letters. I'll just say I have hired a lot in DC and I know the cover letters take a lot of time and I certainly know the job search process can be fatiguing, but when you write a cover letter and uh, don't proofread and maybe it has the wrong organization name, it's really unlikely they're going to move you to the interview phase. So I just want to you know, everything your career advisors tell you, which I know I, I'm sharing a lot of what you've probably already heard is, is likely true. And network, use that awesome and big alumni network of the University of Wisconsin. Again, I've hired for DC-based jobs for about a decade now, and you wouldn't believe how many applications aren't focused on the actual job or the cover letter has errors in it, or it feels like uh, the candidate just sort of read part of the description and threw the resume at it, but didn't really customize it. So one of the best things you can actually do is submit a strong application. That in and of itself with a customized cover letter, if they ask for a cover letter that is, are going to make you stand out. And that's the truth, especially at the entry level. So these are things you can be doing now. Go to your career advisor, go to the workshops, make sure the resume is good, make sure you know how to write a strong, customized cover letter. And then when you get to the interview stage, you want to prepare, prepare, prepare. Do your research, go through the job description piece by piece, Get to know the star pattern for behavioral-based interviews, so situation, task, action you took, and result. That is a really great way to construct answers when you hear something like, tell us about a time when you solved a problem, or tell us about a time where you had to collaborate and disagreed with your coworker. It's a really organized and often accessible way for the interviewer to, to get that response. 
So these are incredible career development pieces that I think will pay off and what I, I know all students listening can take advantage of. And I said this, cast a wide net, be open to multiple options. I told you I was between grad school and Peace Corps. How awesome in hindsight that I had two choices, but put yourself in that position. I was I was applying to multiple things. And to be honest, in the fall, I only applied to the MPA because again, the economy was not great. I didn't know what was gonna happen. I was scared. So I thought, well, MPA could be a good option. At that time, I didn't know I was gonna be offered a job that would pay for it. That didn't come till about March or April of my senior year. I applied to the MPA in October, but I never would have known that I was going to get a, a job on campus that would cover the tuition and the stipend. That didn't come till March or April. So just put yourself in that position. You know, I also knew that the Peace Corps could be a really good option. I went to every info session Ohio State offered. I talked to volunteers. I talked to alumni that had done the program. I got as much information as possible so I could make the best decision possible. And I applied to a bunch of jobs in DC as well. So all is to say, cast a wide net um, and just be open. And third, and I used to share this so much, and I think it's something that's not talked about enough from a career advising perspective, think about what you want in a job rather than the specific job. So sometimes when I advise students in the past, they'd say things like, well, I know I really want to work for the ACLU. That Their mission really resonates with me and that's where I want to go, which is awesome. But then I would say, beyond the mission, because there's certainly many organizations that work to advance civil rights, what is it? What is it aside from the mission and value alignment? And what are your skills? And what are you seeing in terms of pathways to put those skills to work there? What don't you enjoy doing? Because it's not just the mission. Of course, you need to align with the mission, but you also want to make sure you're choosing a job opportunity that has elements of things you've done that you know you like doing. You recall that at the beginning, I said, I really did not like that research internship. I did not apply to a lot of jobs that had a lot of research in them because I knew that about myself. So I think you really need to know what you're looking for. And that's an evolving thing, but to the best of your ability today, think about what you do want and don't want. And finally, think about the federal government. Federal government does take prior planning. A lot of hiring processes take months. So I recommend learning how to use USA Jobs and you can get started by setting up a profile and looking at their resume builder. And on that note, federal resumes are really different than normal one-pagers you're probably used to. If you're a junior or a senior and interested in public service, think about the government, but start now. We offer great resources. The partnership, I've talked about it, gogovernment.org. We have a few virtual sessions uh, of our What's Your Call to Serve, Navigating a Career in Federal Government this fall. You can find those on Go Government and sign up and we can get you started. But we talk about federal internships too. So those are often called pathways programs. Some of them might be able to be done remotely. So you could do those from, from Madison. If you want to explore the government, also, I mean, consider, I'll just say it again, apply to our Future Leaders in Public Service intern program. Again, there are remote opportunities as well as DC-based for summer 2023. All participants receive a stipend. Application is due November 27th, but those internships are a great way to see if this is for you and you can do them as an undergrad, grad student, or recent grad. So I invite you to apply. That's awesome. That's chock full of so much good advice that yeah, you keep saying that you feel like it's repetitive, but I don't think that most people hear that enough. So. Thank you. I'm going to call back to something that you had said kind of in the beginning of that answer, which was talking about being the person to review resumes for people that you're hiring in DC. So you had talked about writing a good resume, writing a good cover letter, making sure that you're proofreading and getting someone to look over it. Are there any other things that you look for as someone who's in the position of hiring people in different roles? What distinguishes the person you want to interview when you have a huge pile of resumes of recent grads that all have good GPAs and look pretty good on paper? 
Yeah, so I love this question, and I'll be honest, like, I don't even really care about the school, and I don't even necessarily care about the GPA. Now, I want to be careful. That's not to say that those things don't matter. They do, but they don't necessarily define you, and your school may help you in ways that aren't obvious right now. So I know I can't speak for Wisconsin, but working at Ohio State, a lot of times Ohio State students assume that you needed to be at like a a DC-based school to be a really competitive candidate. And I've just never found that to be the case. In fact, I really like a diversity of candidates. Like I love considering candidates from all over the country. And I know that Wisconsin is a a big and diverse school. Um, So I think don't ever overlook your your school or assume what my students assumed at Ohio State. And when I hire, like you said, what stands out to me and what gets you to the top of the pile is a resume that is well-written I would also go a step further and say clear transferable skills to the position that demonstrates experience and skill alignment. So if you're looking through a job description and you see a lot of, so an associate here might do a lot of producing of virtual info sessions, for example, and a student here may be drafting the first pass at a newsletter, for example, and they might be doing a lot of administrative pieces. Like if we're going to have a big event, they're going to secure the rooms and the catering. If you've done those things and you're seeing them, in the job description, tweak your resume to clearly show I did that. I do help. I helped with virtual sessions in my old job. I did help my old supervisor set up rooms for conferences and meetings and secure catering. I have a high attention to detail. I'm really organized. I can be trusted to do those things. You know, you all run this podcast, which is really impressive and incredible for undergraduates. And I'm unaware of a lot of operations like that. And so it seems like you could take that experience and bring it to a role that has that communications need that has that creative way to reach people and share share content so just think about what have i done and i assure you you've done a lot more than you think don't ever look part-time jobs or student jobs or volunteer experiences as things that you can include but going the step further with that resume so having a really good baseline rolling resume and then customizing it is huge we talked about the cover letter just be genuine. You know, I'm really excited about your mission. I'm also excited about this job because I know I can do it well because of these experiences I've had, but I'm also eager to grow. So those things, they sound obvious and straightforward, but they really will help you stand out. I I think that genuine openness to learn too. I mean, I have hired a lot of entry levels of folks right out of school, and I can definitely tell when someone is just really excited about the opportunity, they're showing you in the cover letter and the resume that they have, a connection, whether they're just interested, their values align, again, experiences from part-time jobs and previous experiences that are aligned, but just you can tell that they really care. And then when you come to the interview, someone who is on time, engaged and enthusiastic, a good interview is one where I can tell they did their research and thought about how to convey their interest and qualifications. Again, you're going to be asked behavioral-based questions in many interviews. So again, when you hear the tell me about a time when or give an example of, I'm a big fan of the star pattern, situation, task, action, result is a way to organize those answers. I can tell when someone has gone through the job description, really thought through, okay, what what am I going to be asked? This is a controversial opinion. I like a thank you email. I do. (laughs) Um, Some people are like, oh, I don't need it. It doesn't do anything for me. You never know how the interviewer is going to feel though. So I think it's just good to send one and say, you know, I enjoyed your time and If I was selected, I'd be really excited to hit the ground running with and then fill in with something you talked about that that role would be doing. I think it's nice to that end during the interview when they say, what questions do you have at the end? You know, ask some good questions. It's just as much an interview for you as it is for them. So you can say, you know, how does, um, tell me about the office culture and how does an entry-level employee like the role I'm applying for, 
how do we generally fit in? What professional development do you offer? What would be my key priorities in the first three months if I was asked to join the team? Is there anything, any remaining questions you have about my candidacy or anything that I can clear up before we wrap up? Things like that. I mean, have a really good conversation at the end. I really encourage that. And I mentioned your school may come through for you in ways you don't realize, but get to know the Badger Network in whatever city you're in. So if you see that a Badger works at an organization that you want to apply to, talk to them. And then when you go to apply for the job, let them know. It might be the case that they can flag your application. I had a candidate apply for a job I was hiring for. And a colleague emailed me and said, hey, that candidate who applied actually volunteered for something my team did a couple months ago. They were really great. They did us a favor. They were a volunteer and they were really professional and, and fun to work with. So I just wanted you to know that. So it never hurts. That's why networking goes back to it. Uh, and I'll say one thing. Rejection can be difficult. Um, I always used to tell my students, you're going to hear no in life more than you hear yes, unfortunately. Um, but it can still be an opportunity. I've actually had candidates who we were unable to offer them the job that they applied for, but I still think they're a strong candidate, just maybe not the best fit for us. So I've absolutely sent resumes back to Human Resources and said, hey, this person is still a really strong candidate. They might be a good fit for that other team that's about to hire an associate. So just know that that could be happening, to put, but to put yourself in the best position, I think it's nice to write a response to a rejection email as counterintuitive as that may sound. Just a quick thank you. Note that you appreciated the search committee's time and say that you remain interested in future opportunities and that you'd be really grateful if they thought of you for those. I have heard countless stories from friends of a job seeker who didn't get the job and then maybe they reapplied, they stayed in touch, and they joined the team later and often for a better fit for them, right? So those are just some, I guess, ways that I would approach a job interview to stand out from start to finish and hopefully secure a position that you're, you're really excited about. So students often ask what skill sets they need to develop that aren't necessarily apparent to LNS students, especially for good entry-level jobs in a range of industries. Is it necessary for liberal arts students to explore broadening their skill sets to include quantitative areas of statistics or Excel? I know that I'm probably never going to be in a statistics-focused role. However, I decided to take a computer science and engineering 101 class at Ohio State when I was an undergraduate there. It, the objective of it was for like the non-STEM focused people to get a handle on Excel. And at that point, I really didn't have like an amazing handle on Excel. So many of you probably do have a handle on Excel, but I think having just good baseline understanding of the functionality of Excel as a database manager, as you know, because I use Excel every day. We do a lot of project management in Excel. Uh, we manage our budgets and progress and spending them down in Excel. I use that tool at Ohio State as well. So do you need to be like a statistician? No. Do I think Excel and having a really strong handle beyond just like opening it and inputting data can be really good? Yes. And I know that there are ways to get that. If you can't take a class at Wisconsin, I know there's like trainings online that are likely free. So I would do that. I mean, for me, and I think this goes for anyone, I think what really comes across as marketable and desired is strong interpersonal skills and strong writing, really strong writing skills. And when I say writing, not a 20 page academic paper, like, are you able to write a professional and concise email that gets to the point, but offers enough information that the recipient knows what you're asking for or what you need them to know? Uh, are you able to write a half page or a one page brief synthesizing a 50 page report, getting the high level key points that your boss needs to know. I think a lot of times in entry level jobs, 
I learned like, okay, whoever I'm reporting to or, or supporting, they don't have a ton of time, but they need me to get them the most essential pieces of information. So I think there can be some, some technical writing pieces, you know, can you write a memo? Can you write a cover page that captures a lot of information in a very distilled and synthesized manner? And then of course, like interpersonal skills, developing strong relationships, kind of knowing who to go to and when. Those are more the skill sets that I would recommend liberal arts students seek. And you can certainly get those in, again, part-time jobs. I got a lot of that in my like customer service job and campus job, even as a camp counselor. So just thinking about like those interpersonal relationships and how to convey them, going back to that interview resume, interview situation. Yeah. One of our last questions for you here, because we want to be respectful of your time. Something that comes up a lot, I think, in just pop culture at this point is trying to figure out a balance between work and then life balance. As someone who has had a lot of different roles in your various jobs, and it sounds like you're given a lot to handle on a day-to-day basis, how have you found you've needed to set some kind of work-life balance boundaries in place? You're right that it's in pop culture and social media. It feels like a lot more, but I, this is my opinion. I think like we've been thinking about work-life balance for a long time. Maybe we're just talking about it now. I think sometimes you probably are going to not put up boundaries when you should have and just treat that as a learning experience. Like it's okay. Don't beat yourself up if you're like, oh, I really should have drawn a boundary or asked more questions before agreeing to do that. I share that because I feel like that did happen to me a lot in earlier in my career and it's okay. It's just what you do moving forward rather than, than looking back and feeling badly about it. But to more directly answer your question, I mean, ways to draw boundaries. So I think unless it is pre-planned out with your supervisor and sometimes those things can happen, you know, don't work on weekends, don't sign on just to sign on unless there's like a reason, which again, maybe that happens and you agree on it with your, your supervisor, sign off on Friday and don't sign back in until Monday. I take my weekends and I don't apologize for that. I've had jobs where sometimes you do have to work on Saturday. Maybe the students were moving in at Ohio State. At the State Department program job, we used to do things on weekends every now and then. But again, those were pre-planned and agreed upon. So like, there are exceptions and if you're comfortable with that, fine. But other than that, have a firm boundary. I don't really look at my email on the weekend. Take your vacation days. Obviously you need to plan with your team. Uh, and probably select the best time for you to take a week, but really take vacation when you go. I personally (laughs) hate when I know a colleague is on a vacation, like they're using vacation day and they're answering emails and they're like sending me Teams chats. I don't want to hear from you if you're on vacation. Like, you know, again, if there's an exception, but even that is pretty murky. Like I say, if take your vacation days, as long as it was all approved and everyone agrees, go and don't think about work till you get back. And as for being productive, I'm personally super productive in the mornings. So I try to hold time for me to knock out emails and projects the first couple hours of the day. So I try to like take meetings in the afternoon. Of course, this doesn't always work out. Like I ended up having a really beating heavy day this morning, which is a little unique for a Monday here. It's just how the cards fell, but know yourself. I know that I'm really good to get on and get things accomplished and through that inbox in the morning, the first hours of the day, because that's when I feel my best. So try to like align your Uh, schedule to that. And finally, find balance of being a great employee and getting results, but still draw boundaries. So there's always work that can be done. Like I've never had a day in my life where I leave and I'm like, okay, like everything is taken care of. There's nothing left to do, but go on with your life. You know, at the end of the day, like there's only so much you can do in the work day. So definitely be sure you're hitting deadlines and expectations, but you know, I could probably sit on the computer till 11 PM every night if I really wanted to. So just 
think about what's critical today and what is okay if it's left till tomorrow. And it's okay to be focused on like the things that I was focused on in my 20s in DC, like go out and make some friends, which is pretty normal for someone who's new to the city. Go to happy hours, go to workout classes. Um, you know, there's all kinds of events in DC and other, other places certainly after work. The nice thing about that is it forces you to close the computer. You know, if like I'm going to this kickball game at 6 p.m., like I have to leave by 5.30. So I think it motivates you have those things outside of work because you are not just your job and it also keeps you accountable to leaving at a certain time. It always made my day fly because I'm like, oh, I get to see these people that I like after work or I get to try this new thing or I'm going to go to this restaurant. But also going home and cooking a meal for yourself and watching your favorite show alone can go in that category too. I treat those things as social events and as appointments that can't be missed. So unless there is a true emergency at work, which is rare, I sign off when I say I will and I hold all of those appointments that are not work-related. All right, one final question to leave us with some parting wisdom. What's one piece of advice you would give 21, 22-year-old Katie Hogan going through this process right now? That's a great question. I will do two. So one, and it's kind of cheating, but I just want to plug one more time. If future leaders in public service, our internship program existed, I would have told her to apply for it because I think I would have gained a lot. I think it would have opened a lot of doors and created new perspective and allowed me to develop skill sets in a government agency, which is really cool. So again, our Future Leaders in Public Service Internship Program is open for summer 2023, paid fellowship in government, um, and you can do that remotely or you can come to DC. So you have options. I think the second thing I would say is just be flexible. If you asked me, if you told me at 21, here's like where you're going to end up and here are the things you're going to do, it wouldn't have made a lot of sense to me then, but it does now. So just stay open, cast a wide net, and don't be too rigid in your thinking. You know, you might get an offer to something that you just never considered. At least go to the interview, right? And at least kind of think about what this could mean for you. I never would have thought running Ohio State's DC office was a thing that I would do, but it was a privilege and it was a blast. I laughed like almost every day for eight years. It was a really good time. And I love this job. Could I have guessed that I would be running the Call to Serve Network at this nonprofit that believes in the federal government? No, it all makes sense now, but it wouldn't have been. So just be open, cast a wide net, and just know like you're planting seeds. You're not sure how they're going to grow. So just be sure you're putting yourself in a good position so when the opportunity comes, you can take it. That's awesome. Thank you, Katie, for being here with us again. And to our listeners, feel free to check out all of the programs and websites that Katie mentioned in the interview today. And we can't wait to have you on again soon, Katie. Thank you so much. For more information, visit polysci.wisc.edu and search for 1050 Bascom. 1050 Bascom is edited by Addison Lathers and Claire Salmi and produced by Amy Gangle. Thanks for listening. <laughs>